Father, thank you for your mercy and, for, and forgive us, Lord, for all that we do that's in our own strength and all that we do uh, apart from you. God, you, you have feelings and, and you desire to be the center of our world, the center of our attention, and, the, and certainly the center of our hope and trust. Uh, you are faithful to those things and, and you want that from us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would, that we would respond to all of your faithfulness and goodness and love with, uh, with a true response of faith. And God, we, we ask that you would speak to us and speak to all of our friends and, and loved ones who are listening right now online or on Facebook. And, and God, we pray that you would do a real, deep, powerful, setting free work in our heart. Uh, set us free from so many things that, that help keep us in bondage. We want to uh, freely know you, we want to freely serve you, and we want to be free of all that restricts us, um, uh, real or imaginary. Uh, we want this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, we're, gonna t- we're in our eighth lesson of, of uh, discipleship, grace discipleship, talking about the new covenant this uh, week, and it just so happens to be the fourth Sunday of the month, so we're going to get into this. And today we're talking about lesson eight, obedience. Obedience. What does it mean that the new covenant provides for our obedience? Um, have you guys ever met someone uh, who says they're a Christian, but they don't obey Jesus' commands? Yeah. How many of you met that person in the mirror? <laughs> yes. We, we struggle with obedience is a topic that we need to talk about. And, and when someone says they're a Christian and then they do horrible, unchristian things, what do we call that person? A hypocrite. And is that a good thing? No, it's a terrible thing. Because every believer must obey. We, we must obey. It is a good thing to obey the Ten Commandments. In fact, believers are expected to obey the Ten Commandments. There is nothing wrong with obeying the Ten Commandments. But how do we obey the Ten Commandments? Jesus said, if you love me, you will what? Obey me me or keep my commandments. Exactly. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Well, how does the new covenant provide for this obedience? How do I actually obey when I don't have the ability to? And how did Jesus obey God the Father? We're going to talk about these questions We're going to talk about obedience today. And first, we're going to start in John chapter 14, verse 10. And what I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you, you guys like having dessert before the meal? And you love that, right? It's it's so fun. Eat the the dessert before. Well, I'm going to give you the the beautiful, wonderful cookie right now. And you're going to to be able to to rejoice in it, right? (laughs) John 14, 10. Jesus says, do not believe, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? So what do we see there? A relationship, right? United closeness. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Jesus did the works. He did everything right. If we want a picture of obedience, it's going to have Jesus' face slapped right on the front of it. He obeyed in every way. 
But how did he obey? Did he just pull the God card every day and say, oh yeah, I'm also God? He did not. He was God, that's true, but that's not how he obeyed. It's, he says right here, he allowed his father, God, to supply him with a spiritual power called the Holy Spirit. And we know this because he says, his life was in me. And this is what we're going to learn today. You are able to obey because you are dead. And there is a different life living in you when you become a believer. And that life is whose life? Jesus, which is the same as the Father, the same as the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. They all come to you. They live in you, and his life is in you. He says, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. We have a relationship where we are united. So let's look at how this applies to our life. And when we talk about us being obedient, let's look at Romans 6.14. Romans 6.14. Very important verse. It says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Obedience. We are supposed to obey. Jesus obeyed. And there are two ways that we can go about obeying. We can either do it by the law or by grace. And if we're doing it by the law, that means we are using our own resources to try and obey the law out of our strength. How good does that work? It does not work. We cannot obey the law to the standard that God expects. We can try, but we will always fall short. And what if we keep 99% of the law, but we fail in just 1% of the law? What are we? Yeah, all the things you just said. Lawbreakers, failures, sinners. We are not perfect. And God's standard, unfortunately, is perfection. So he provides another way, which he says here is called grace. When we are under grace, it is not our resources that we depend on to obey his commandments. It is his resources, his life, his Holy Spirit, his grace is what is given to us freely so that obedience is a reality. He says here, you cannot overcome life-dominating sins by your own power. The only way is by grace. So the new covenant provides an actual resource for real practical victory over sin. God's grace is the answer to any sin problem. God's grace is the answer to any sin problem. I'm going to say it a third time. God's grace is the answer to any sin problem. But you don't understand what I'm struggling with, right? We struggle to believe this truth. But it is so clearly taught in Scripture. God's grace is the answer to any sin problem. Let's look at what the Old Covenant said about obeying the law. The Old Covenant. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, it says this. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but that you fear the Lord your God, walk in all his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with 
all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for good. God gave a very clear requirement in the old covenant, and that is you are to do all his ways all the time with all your heart. So you could do all his ways all the time, but if it's not with all your heart, you still fail. You could live a perfect life, but if for one moment you were kind of meh, you still fall short. That is the requirement of the law. It doesn't change. It's not less than that. He says, you need to do everything I say, everything with all your heart, with all your soul, keep all my commandments. And it's good. He says, it's good. Your life is going to be blessed if you do this. You will be really living. If you do everything I say, guys, your life is going to be the happiest, most blessed life that anyone could ever experience. Trust me. So what happens? Today, or in Deuteronomy 26, 17. Today, you have proclaimed the Lord to be your God and that you will walk in all his ways and keep his statutes and his commands and his judgments and that you will obey his voice. So all the people heard all of God's commandments and they said, you got it. We're going to do that. We are down. We are, we are in. We will do everything you said. Have you ever gotten a report card that was not so good? Well, the entire Old Testament is a report card for how well the children of Israel did at this, uh, in, this, in this old covenant, in this agreement. God said, here's the agreement. You have to do everything I say with all your heart. They said, we are in. We will do everything you say. Now let's read Ezekiel chapter 20. A couple thousand years later, Ezekiel is a prophet, comes on the scene, and he says this, notwithstanding the children of Israel rebelled against me. They did not walk in my statutes. They were not careful to obey my, observe my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. You'll really be living if you do keep his commandments. But they profaned my Sabbaths, and then I said, I will pour out my fury on them and fulfill my anger against them in the wilderness. In the wilderness, No one kept the promise to obey God. Does God ever ask you to make him promises? This is a really big issue. How many times do we say, God, I will never do that again. <laughs> that is a promise we are making to God. If you make that promise, whose resources are you depending on? I will never do that again. Itself. And that's why God never asks us to make promises to Him. Instead, He makes a new way where He is going to make promises to us. And our job is simply to believe those promises. So the end state of these people who have disobeyed God, the, the children of Israel, God's people, is the same as an unbeliever. They're, they're 
punished. They're, they're outside of God's good graces, right? Man's performance will never measure up to God's standard, no matter how hard we try. And, and if we focus on obedience, we will never actually produce obedience. Israel tried their best to obey God's law. The problem with Israel was not how hard they tried. And the problem with you and with me when we fail is not how hard we tried, but what do we say the moment we fail? I'm going to try harder. How slow we are to believe the promises of God. How how hard-hearted we are to think that our effort is what we were missing. That is not what we were missing. We are bankrupt spiritually. And a focus on obedience will never actually produce the, the level of obedience that God expects in our life. So what are you saying? I should not focus on obedience? And I should not try to obey? And I should just do whatever I want? BK, no. (laughs) Let's look at more of the report card. The report card in Ezekiel says, man, you guys have failed miserably. Let's look at uh, Stephen in Acts chapter 7, verse 51. Stephen is is put on trial by the the Jews. But what he does is he turns it right around. And in his little sermon, he puts them on trial. And he says, I'm not the one on trial here. You guys are the one on trial. And what you guys have done is failed God's standard. Look what he says. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. F minus. That's what you get. Obedience and Jews equals F minus. Okay, but these are the people who dedicated their entire life to studying the Word of God, to doing the things that God told them to do. They committed and dug in and did their absolute best with all their might. And you're telling me they got an F minus? I can't try harder than them. So I'm lower than an F minus. Just true. We can't do it. The problem was that the people would not accept the grace of the Holy, that the Holy Spirit wanted to pour out on them. The Holy Spirit had always promised to give what people needed, but their hearts were so hard that they didn't want to believe that they needed anything. That's what gets in the way when it comes to obedience. I don't believe I need his help. Or I don't believe he will give me his help. Either way, it's unbelief. I'm slow to believe. I I have a hard heart. And that's what happened with the children of Israel. That's why they get an F minus for their report card. It just doesn't work. Let's look at how the new covenant changes all of this and actually gives us a new, different resource for how to obey God's commands. Because you need to obey God's commands. I should obey God's commands. I don't want to be the dirty, rotten hypocrite. I want to be a God-honoring child of God that represents my Father to this world. I want to obey, right? If you don't want to obey, there's a bigger problem. Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. The new covenant is prophesied in this verse, and it says, I will give you, God speaking, I will give you a new heart 
And this new heart, what's it going to be? This new heart will want to do God's will. How many of you want to do God's will? And then we fail to do it, right? We want to do it. Oh, but we fail. If you never want to do God's will, you are not born again and not a child of God yet. You need to ask God for that new heart. It will happen. He will give it to you. But if you can just go on and sin and do all the, all the evil that you want with no desire to honor God and repent, then you are not born again yet. That's very clear in Scripture. So he says, I will give you a new heart. Can you make yourself a new heart? No. So if you don't want to know, serve God at this point, I get it. You've got to ask God for that new heart. And he says, and then I will put a new spirit within you. I will take out the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Well, that sounds a lot like obedience to me. Who makes me obey? God does. God, this is one of the greatest promises in scripture he is promising to give us this thing, this person called the Holy Spirit to live in us, which will transform us and make us do his will. Be obedient. Be happy. The Holy Spirit is a, comp- is a complete and simple am- answer to the obedience problem in the church today. There is a big obedience problem. A lot of people know Jesus, but they don't obey him. What is the world's biggest complaint about the church? Bunch of hypocrites. They treat me worse than the DMV. It's like, that's true. (laughs) Well, the Holy Spirit is the answer to this problem. The Holy Spirit will make us like Christ, patient like Christ, loving like Christ, Obeying Christ in all things. You know, when Jesus says, love your enemies, we're like, that's crazy and impossible. I'm not going to love my enemies. That is, and so what we do is we, like, we, we minimalize it or we just avoid our enemies. That's the same as loving them, right? If I'm not around them, then I won't yell at them. And that's more loving than me yelling at them. Well, God says no. You have a problem. Obedience. I'm not going to forgive that person. You know what they did to me? Jesus is like, you're going to forgive or you don't know me. And we say, I don't want to forgive. They have hurt me. They've abused me. They've, they've done all these things to me. They don't deserve to be forgiven. And Jesus says, oh, do you? Oh, yeah. Obedience is a real thing that all of us are dealing with today. We got to obey. How? By the Holy Spirit. He will cause this to happen. And it's all internal. And it's not like the law, which was all external. Here's a list of things that I should do. Let me try to look like that. Let me try to look like I'm doing those things. No, the the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to do it all internally. I'm going to make you this person. Let's look at Jeremiah 32, another new covenant promise. He says, I will make an everlasting covenant with them and I will not turn away from doing them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts so they will not depart from me. 
Yes, I, I will rejoice over them and do them good, and I will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. They were supposed to obey with all their heart and with all their soul, and God says, you are terrible at this. So what is his solution? Me, God, with all my heart and all my soul, will do all the good for you. I will do it all for you. That is God's solution. It still has to be with all the heart and with all the soul. But God says, I will stand in your place and I will be the one who gives all his heart and all his soul for you because I deeply love you and I will exchange my life for yours and I will take your sinful heart out and I will replace it with my heart, with all my heart and with all my soul. I am committed to doing this good work. It's almost like God is obeying his own word. He's like, I'll show you what obedience looks like. I will obey my own standard of what love is, and I will do what you need. And that is deeply powerful. Many people try to produce obedience and think that the more they try, the more they want it, the more they will succeed. But this is just not true. The real solution is the one that God gives with all his heart and soul. It's the new covenant. He says, I'm giving you a new covenant with all my heart. I'm making a new contract with you with all my heart. And I'm, I'm, I'm even writing it with all my blood. It is what Jesus does for us on the cross. His goodness, his Holy Spirit, transform us by his faithfulness, not yours. This is so freeing, guys. We don't have to change ourselves. We do need to dive into his life by faith. We need to totally embrace our weakness and, and, and brokenness and his love and faithfulness. We've got to believe those things, engage with those things. But it's not about us doing the work ourselves. So how does the new covenant fulfill our obedience? Luke 6.46 says, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Jesus doesn't take away the law. He fulfills the law. He doesn't say the law doesn't exist anymore. The law still exists, and keeping the law is a requirement and a must for all the people of God. We must keep the law. And he says, you can't call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say. And this reminds me of the guy who they were talking about this verse, and, and he's like, yeah, I mean, I don't do the things that God says. He was in a church staff meeting. And he says, that's why I don't call him Lord anymore. And it's like, wait a second. That's not the solution Jesus was going for. He wants to be our Lord. And so the obedience needs to be there. And it's not a cop-out saying, well, I can just still be a Christian and not do what Jesus said and don't call him Lord, but still go to heaven. That doesn't work. Obedience is a legit requirement, okay? But the source of that obedience is the real question. Jesus says it plainly, if I'm not your Lord, I'm not your boss. I'm not your Lord if I'm not your boss. Jesus doesn't change the requirement. He agrees with the perfect demand to obey. But uh, we can't. So Jesus does something about this. Let's look at Matthew 28, 20. He says, are, 
Our great mission as the church is to teach them to observe all the things I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So Jesus says, I got a plan to transform a whole bunch of people into people who will keep my law and love me and know me. And that's the ministry of the church. The church is supposed to be here to be teaching people what God's law is, their inability to keep God's law, and the heavenly resource that is available to them so that they can be transformed into law-keeping people. God's grace. It is, how do we keep the commands of Jesus? It is not through self-effort. If effort could produce that kind of obedience, then the Jews were totally right in all that they did. But they weren't. Uh, Galatians 3.21, he says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, which is human efforts to keep the law, then Christ died in vain. We don't want to be people who would think that Jesus died in vain, that Jesus' death was not important, but if we think our obedience hinges on our efforts, that's what we're saying. Jesus' death doesn't matter. The truth is Jesus' death does matter. Because there is zero obedience credited to you if you reject what Jesus did on the cross. Here's, here's where it goes. If we live our whole life saying, it's my obedience that God's going to measure. It's my, it's my obedience that I need to measure up to his standard. You are going to get to heaven and you are going to be measured by that standard. And we will fall short. It just will happen. But God's grace is so good that it's available to each one of us and it's free. And he says, if you put your hope in me, put your trust and confidence in what I have done on the cross, you are set free. And I will make you obedient just like you were supposed to be. I will do that work that is his promise. Look at John 8, 28. It says, and he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. In our last verse, in in Matthew 28, Jesus says, I will always be with you. that, That relationship of withness or oneness, me with you, that is the whole deal. That is all that matters. That's all that's important. That's your strength. That is your obedience. That's how obedience happens when I am with you, when we are united. And he says, you know what? For me, the Father is with me. And that's how I always do the things that please him. That sounds like what we're supposed to do, right? That sounds like obedience. Jesus had no problem keeping the law. He always kept it. He always pleased his Father both in his heart and externally in the things that he did. He loved God and men with all his heart. How was he able to do such things? How was he able to stay so close to God? Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, And being found in appearance as a man, Jesus looked like a man. He was a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So it ties the obedience of Jesus to God with one word, humility. Humility. 
Humility is the key trait that will lead us to a life of obedience. Humility, not prideful efforts. God, look what I've done to obey you. Look at me. God says, trash, sorry, not good enough. Look at all your motives. Look at all the ways that you could have done better. Not good enough. There is one person ever who God looked at his works and said, whoa, that's my beloved son. And he makes me well pleased. He lives up to the standard. So why would we reject that when God accepted it? God said it's good enough. His life is good enough. And his life is offered freely to you and to me today. But we have to reject our life. We have to die to ourselves. And we have to say, I will not put confidence in my works. I will put my confidence only in his works. Colossians 1.27. I know we're going through so many scriptures today, but it's fun. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This amazing, mysterious work of God where he transplants the spirit into our heart. He takes out our old life and he puts in us his new life. This is an amazing solution to our inability to obey. I can't obey. In my flesh, I cannot obey. So God says, I have a great solution. I will take you out and I will put my obedient, perfect son in your dirty body. And I will make it live with his life. And this is the craziest thing that could ever be imagined. Our old spirit that was always rebellious could never obey is removed from our heart and placed on the cross with Jesus and killed. And then his perfectly obedient spirit is then transferred into our heart by grace. What a trade, right? So how do we walk in that? That is the truth for every one of you today if you have believed on Christ, if you have put your hope in him. That happened. He is alive in you today. But we struggle to believe it. And the devil, he gets us to believe something that's not true, which is called a lie. Because he's the father of lies. And so he says, you're still a dirty, rotten sinner. And you really want to sin. And God is restricting you with all his laws. And God just doesn't want you to have any fun. Is that the truth? No, because in your heart, your heart of hearts lives the life of Christ. And what does he want to do all the time? Obey, submit, surrender. He loves his father and always does his father's will. He pleases his father. And that's what is alive in you. But we don't believe. We struggle to believe. When we believe, obedience is like a walk in the park. It truly is wonderful the life that God has given to us, the joy and the glory that is ours when we believe. It is a, it, it's like a prom- promised land. It's like a land flowing with milk and honey, the life that we get to live when we, what? 
believe. Believe in what he has done for us. Now, how would we get into a place where we can really walk in this every day? John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do just a few things. No, it didn't say that. It says nothing. Oh, so I wasn't exaggerating when I said you were dirty, rotten sinners that could do no good. No, Jesus says the same thing. We cannot accomplish the good things God says we should in our own strength. The solution that God has given of him in us and our old life in him, him in us, that solution works, he says, when we abide abide. And that means to remain in him. He will remain in us. Just like Jesus says, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And so I'm doing all kinds of miracles. Watch him. He he was, it was confidence, right? He knew what was going on. And that relationship, that united closeness will produce spiritual fruit, which is all the fruit that we need. Obedience is actually just a part of that fruit. It's just one of the fruits obedience. To abide looks like this, humility and faith. Have you guys ever heard that before? That was actually the coolest part about being away and listening to the sermons is like, oh, my beloved elders all mentioned humility and faith. I thought it was so amazing. To abide looks like that. That's just a simple way to say abide is humility is confessing our need for God You have to stay always confessing your need for God. That's how you remain. God, I need you. God, I'm broken. God, I need you. I need you. I need you today. I need you today. I can't go back to living in my own strength. I can't do that. I can't do that. I need you. I need you. I need you. That is the foundation of an abiding relationship with Christ. I need you. Is that hard or is that easy? Well, it's not not a work. So it's something that I can actually get my head around. Um, faith is the second half, which is expressing our dependence upon him. God, I need you, but I'm going to trust you. I'm broken, but I, and I believe you're going to fix me. I'm weak, and I'm asking you for strength. That's what an abiding relationship looks like. And remaining in that place is something that is, I find, difficult because we are just weird and we drift we drift like like things in the ocean that drift I don't, driftwood there you go we drift away from this place and and we wake up in the morning and we're like what was i so needy about yesterday i don't really remember why i was so like ah weird and messed up yesterday today i'm feeling pretty good so da, 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 da. shut up wife Oh, wow, what did I do? How did I not obey? Why did I just do that? Oh, well, see, we drifted without hardly even knowing it, and then instantly we're in our flesh, and we're doing things that are hurting people and not obeying God. God says, obedience is tied to abiding, and abiding is a daily attitude of humility. I need you, and faith, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to ask you. To, to do what you've promised to do. Philippians 2.12 says, Therefore, my beloved, 
as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So you're like, wait a second. This verse says we're supposed to work on our obeying. And it's like, mm, no, it doesn't. Work out is not the same as work for. Two different words. This means to exercise humility and faith, which is fear and trembling. I'll explain that to you in a sec. To experience your salvation at all times and to grow in it. Paul is saying to the Philippians, guys, obedience is the thing you guys are doing a good job with, but you need to keep abiding in Christ through humility and faith, or that obedience will slip away faster than you can say something. We, we got to grow in abiding, and it means surrendering to God's new covenant of grace on a daily basis, believing it, understanding it, growing in it. Work out does not mean add works to your salvation. It doesn't. Your salvation is complete. It's accomplished. But God does want good works to appear in your life. So I want to define the word trembling because we're like, how does that mean humility? Well, trembling is from the Greek word tromos, which means uh, it's used to describe the anxiety of one who distrusts his own ability completely to meet all the requirements. That's a great definition of humility. But religiously does his utmost to fulfill them in faith. That's what the word trembling means in Greek. I just looked up the definition. And I'm like, that's like the greatest definition I've ever heard. Distrust his own ability completely to meet the requirements that are set before him. So the correct definition is of trembling is fear of trusting in yourself. Fear of self-confidence. The opposite trust is implied, which means trusting in who? Who are we supposed to trust in? Jesus, Right? Trust in the Lord. Trust in him to do the work in us. He will change us, and he will change the desires and actions, or what this verse said, to will and to do of his good pleasure. He will make you obey. He will provide the strength and power for obedience. We're almost done, guys. Hebrews 13, 12, 20. It says, Now may the God of all peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete to do his will. So this new covenant that was bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus, he says, God will make you complete to do, in every good work, to do his will. That sounds like obedience, right? Working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Your obedience does not depend on you and your faithfulness. God takes responsibility for your obedience as you simply abide in Jesus Christ. This is his chosen way. If you don't like it, don't be a Christian. If you want to do it your way, then don't be a Christian because this is his way. And he loves this way. God literally invented this. He loves the new covenant and he says, guys, it's so good. It's good news. 
And I love it because it exalts Jesus and gives him the glory. If obedience was something we could actually do ourselves, who would get the glory when you obey? Yeah. And God says, that is treason. Nobody gets glory in my kingdom except me. Sorry, that's the way that it works. Well, I don't like God like that. I want God to be someone who looks at me all the time, and I want to be God. And God says, sorry, the job is not up for hiring. I'm not quitting. I am God. And Jesus is God, and Jesus is my son, and Jesus is highly exalted and given the name above every name that in all of heaven and earth every knee should bow, that he is Lord. And he says the way of the new covenant is the only way that can happen in your life. Are you going to humbly trust him? Or are we going to stubbornly continue to say, I promise I won't do it again. I'm going to try harder next time. I'm going to, you know what? Let me tithe a little bit more. Don't do that. It does not get you closer to God. I'm going to, I'm going to do more for God. I'm going, to, I'm going to help people out. I'm going to go around looking for old ladies crossing the street. Maybe I can get enough. So our conclusion is, is this. Romans 8.4 The righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Obedience. And it's described here as walking. It's not hard. Walking is a daily choice to agree with the terms of the new covenant. He says, walk in the Spirit. The Spirit is given in the new covenant, so walk in the Spirit. Placing all confidence in God and what Jesus did on the cross, not in me and my best efforts. This guarantees that obedience will be maintained, God says. I will make you obey. I will help you. I will strengthen you. So what happens when you don't obey? Yeah, God's going to, there might be consequences. God might discipline you, but God loves you. And he's constantly drawing you back to teach you what you did wrong was not the thing you did wrong. What you did wrong is you forgot to abide. That's always the problem. Why was I a jerk today? Not because your, your, your inner child was having a bad day. Not because of all your coworkers. Not because your kids. You were a jerk today because you weren't abiding. Period. And Jesus says, I could have given you my life, but you wasted a day without it. So let's, let's start over. Repent. Agree with me that you're the problem, not me. I wasn't withholding my spirit from you. I love you. I provided everything for you. Believe. Galatians 3 says, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Paul says it's really, really dumb to go back to self-based efforts when you've learned the way of the Spirit. So don't do it. Abide in Christ. Remain in Christ. Keep trusting Christ. Grow more dependent on Christ. Not more independent from Him. Oh, I've been a Christian for so long, I don't even need to read the Bible. I got it all memorized. 
And then Galatians 3.5, just one verse later, Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? He's saying if you want God to work in your life, to give you the miraculous obedience of Jesus, he says it doesn't come by trying harder. It comes by the hearing of faith. Faith. He will do the impossible by us just trusting in him. That's what happens. Your issues are nothing before his power. Mountains can be moved by faith, Jesus said, right? All right. Our... 2 Thessalonians 2.16. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and the God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. We're dealing with Jesus here. He is the one who makes this promise, and so he's the one that's going to keep this promise. It does not depend on us. He's not a liar. He will do what he said. We are the lucky and blessed objects of his love. But he demands our trust and confidence and humility. What is the only thing that can ruin this? We've already mentioned it once, but Hebrews 3.19 says that they could not enter the promised land because of unbelief. Unbelief. God, I'm not going to believe that I'm that broken. I'm not going to believe that I need to be that humble, that I need to depend on you for everything. I will not believe that. Well, then you're not going to experience the blessings of the new covenant. You know what? I'm not going to believe that, you're going to, that you would answer my prayers. I'm not going to believe that you would be that good to me. Or I'm not going to believe that that you hear me. I'm just not going to believe. Even though evidence in the world and in the Bible all points to that God does hear you and God is listening, we're going to ignore evidence and we're going to say, I just won't believe. I just will not believe. No matter how many people the Bible says believed and God heard them, I don't believe that he hears me and I don't believe he would change me. Would you guys bow your heads and close your eyes with me? I believe there's people in here today that have been really wrestling with their own disobedience and they need to feel that fresh start and they need to uh, take a step of faith and say, I want to believe in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ for me and my life. I want to obey, I have that heart, but I need the Holy Spirit to make me obey because I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, and I've failed over and over again. I failed so much. And I know that God forgives me, but I want to stop failing so much. I want to believe that you would hear me and be good to me. If that's you, I would all eyes are closed, but I would ask you to stand and receive prayer. Stand in faith. Because God will hear you and God will answer the prayer of humility and faith. Father, we pray for those who have stood including myself, and I pray, Jesus, that you would forgive 
our transgression. Forgive when we have not obeyed. Forgive us, Jesus, not because we've earned it, but because of your great blood and sacrifice. And Jesus, we ask for your Holy Spirit to consume us. We ask in humility, not we could never earn a gift of your Spirit. We are wicked and vile and broken. We need you. And we pray that all those standing today and even those sitting, God, that you would hear our hearts and you would send us your Holy Spirit, that we, you would help us to abide and remain humbly dependent upon your Spirit. Jesus, we need a fresh washing that you promised Peter, that you said that you would wash our feet. God, what God would ever bow in humility before us to wash our feet? Only the true and living God, which you are. We give you honor. We give you praise. We give you glory. We shout your name, Jesus. We have no hope except through you. Transform us into your image according to your will. Would you all stand with me and with those who are standing? Jesus, our lives are not our own. We've been bought with a price. You give us commandment of what we're supposed to do every day. We want to obey. We need you. Please hear our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.